Hello there, everybody in podcast land. You're listening to the Nightland Podcast. I am Stefan Friedrich. Now, normally, uh, I am joined by my wonderful colleague, Adela Holmes. And Adela is actually currently out in the States, in the UK. God knows where she is. Um, She's been doing another master session with um, the good Bruce Perry in Canada at a conference uh, and he's now gallivanting somewhere. There's no doubt that in our next podcast we're going to hear all about her adventures. Um, But I've taken the opportunity while I'm in Cairns um, to meet with my good friend Peter Rideau, who I've invited on the podcast. Hello, Peter. Hey, how's it going, Stefan? Uh, pretty good. It's so good to have you on the podcast. I've actually been wanting to do this for ages, and I've been wanting to have you on the podcast because I'd really love for people to um, to hear from you and hear your story and, uh, and where you're coming from. Um, We've known each other for a while now. Yeah, we have. <laughs> this is actually my very first podcast. So, yeah, we kind of like pop in the podcast cherry. So, yeah, let's see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's, it's weird because we're talking to, um, obviously, we would have, who knows, probably five or six million uh, listeners, no doubt. <laughs> um, At least. But it's kind of weird just um, just talking on our own here. Um with a microphone, um, but I know for a fact that I know that Adela and I talk a lot, and I know for a fact that you're not too far behind us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I tend to chatter a bit. <laughs> um, and we've, I mean, we met um, a few years ago as we came together to do some work um, up here in far north Queensland together. Um, I remember when I first met you and I could just tell by your character, um, well, I wasn't just looking for just a, a, you know, a great clinician to work with or, you know, some really accomplished academic psychologist. We needed people with those qualifications and skills to, to work with. Um, but, you know, it's hard to find people who've got that factor to work with with the kids that we work with and work with um, developmental trauma and I I can just tell in your character you've got it I think it's a mixture of guts and intelligence uh, and patience I think you have to be a little bit stubborn to want it bad enough because as you know the theoretical part of trauma some of those concepts you know they're they're practical and they make sense but at the same time if your thinking is a certain way to have to be coming in and trying to help you know schools and other people think more along those lines yeah so much of our work is it's really community exposure to this and it's education it's and it's education that isn't um you know, talking down to people, it's like, hey, I want to share this way of looking at behaviour and presentations, actually, that gives us a way um, to provide kids an opportunity to to heal from trauma. And, and we know that it works. But we also know it's hard work. Right? Absolutely. And it's funny because I, 
didn't ever want to work with kids because I've got children mm-hmm. who are now grown, but I sort of figured, well, I've got kids. Why would I work with kids? Because there's like kids, kids. Yeah. But then, you know, having come from adult mental health for a long time mm-hmm. and seeing the after effects of all of these yeah. well, trauma in particular and some of the mental health issues down the track, you know, being able to prevent and as we talk about trajectory changing, um, I feel like this is the area where you can make the most impact and I don't think I could ever go back. Well, there's so much evidence now. Like this is where the academic world gives us so much that we can use. Yeah. There's so much evidence, real research and evidence that links directly childhood trauma, early childhood trauma to later life morbidities and mental yeah. health illnesses and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess you were working further down the trajectory and you, you were yeah. just on a different part of the continuum. But one thing that uh, that you do really well is uh, because in far north Queensland we work with so many kids who, um, you know, they're from um, Aboriginal communities from um, Cape York or, or other areas. And um, there was so much for me to learn uh, about that. Like, what is this thing where you've got to have, you know, people talk about, you know, you have to consider cultural sensitivities and all this sort of stuff, which I think there's a lot of jargon around it. it drives but me crazy. But there's the stuff that's actually real. Now, yeah. um, one thing that's, that's great about you and the way that you are is not only do you actually articulate the theory and use it and know it so well um, as a clinician and I, I know you're, you're very <laughs> humble and you hate me talking about that I know that because I know you but but you know you're you're Aboriginal mm-hmm. um, and you're also from a Cape York community yeah Right? And, and I just think um, you bring so much understanding and I think I've learned so much from you in just watching you and listening to you and what you have to say and I think I've realised what all that jargon actually means for me now. Yeah. Uh, it's about truly understanding um, the, the cultures that we have here in Australia. We're, we're not actually a homogenous culture. We have different cultures, yeah. really diverse, you know, real diversification of culture, don't we? I definitely knew that I was, like, I was exposed to trauma and trauma theory, attachment theory a few years ago in a previous role. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, it's I fell in love with it because I know that not only does it make sense, it just, it was where we need to work. We need to be thinking that way. Yeah. And... Yeah, I could never, I could never go back. No, no. Well, you can't unknow what you know. <laughs> no, because right? you look at everything differently. You know, even in my own home, in my own children, in yeah. my family, and you know, you notice things just based on theory, because that's that's your new lens. And being passionate about it, I think, you know, children that you work with know whether or not you believe in the theory, and the guidance that you give. And I think that's what makes a difference. You're not just there pulling something out your pocket. This is stuff that's actually scientifically, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's this different is to research based. It's different to what I call clipboard psychology. Right. You know, like having clipboard and sitting down and ticking all the boxes and asking some questions and then leaving and doing some kind of assessment, which is 
falls into a template. It, it, this is very different. Um, but can, you know, can I, if, if you don't mind, I ask you a question like, how does, um, how does an Aboriginal girl from a community in Cape York, which for me, I'm from Melbourne, Mm-hmm. I'm from Victoria. Right? You know I know you came here for the warm weather. <laughs> well, I love, I love the warm weather. You know, at the moment, everyone's Sitting here with about, a t-shirt on. Everybody's talking about how chilly it is. Mm-hmm. And it's, it makes me laugh. Like, people... I I just spoke to Katie at home. And, mm-hmm. like, we're expecting snow today. Wow. Um, that's actually what chilly is. Whereas up here, you know, the temperature falls below 24 degrees. And everyone's like, oh, oh, bit, of a, bit boots. of a cold snap. I wear Ugg boots up here. <laughs> it's just the way it is. We're spoiled. So how did you, how, how did you get to be here? Like, here what you, I'm just picturing you... Is a little girl in Cape York. You're out in this community who someone from from Melbourne, someone like me, I've never even heard of Cape York until recently. Like I, I didn't even know this whole country existed. Wow. Right? This this whole area and there's all these uh, communities and people out here. I've really had no, until probably six years ago, mm-hmm. I was really unaware. Um, I just pictured... I just pictured life was pretty much like Melbourne except warmer but it, it's so different yeah it is so different so how, how did you come to be here what, how, what happened <laughs> why are you doing what I know people ask me this and I can't, really can't answer it so you might not be able to answer well I'm from a very small Aboriginal community in Pope Vale which is north of Cooktown right. and at the time we actually didn't have a high school because it used to go to year seven and then yeah. eventually year eight and a lot of the kids ended up catching the bus to Cooktown. But back then, um, most kids who finished year seven, year eight, you were leaving the community to go to you know, boarding school. Right. And so I ended up at Mount St. Bernard in the Tablelands, which is about an hour and a half from Cairns. Right, is that... Uh, and it's colder because it's the, up on the, you know, it's oh, up on the hills. Be, must be freezing. Yeah. That's when I first wear stockings <laughs> in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's still the tropics, right? Right. Um, is this near Atherton? Is that what you mean? Herberton. It's another right. 20 minutes uh-huh. from uh-huh. Atherton. Right. It's, it's gorgeous up there. And so there, are, you know, we used to go home for school holidays, but yeah, very, that was the whole nuns and la, 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 you know, all of that good stuff. Right, so... <laughs> Um, yes, it was a pretty strict school, but at the same time, it did set a really solid framework for my high school education because, you know, here you are in this one little community. Interesting, um, because people always talk about boarding schools as this really oppressive, institutional, oppressive, horrible time. I was miserable the first six running. months. I was really, really homesick. It wasn't easy. And I know a lot of students who did leave to go to boarding school went home simply because they were so homesick. Mm-hmm. And it was exposure to a, another culture that we, you know, the small community of Hope Vale, That's we used to walk around with barefoot and back then, you know, it was dirt roads and life was free and easy and mm-hmm. horses and, you know, riding horses and swimming and creeks and we're rather, rather free. And then being in this uniform and these stockings and shoes, like, that's a big cultural jump. And so 
eventually I started making friends at that school and yeah. by then you start to settle in and feel at home and I was lucky, you know, that I had a really good friendship group there. And there were other students from Papua New Guinea, the Torres Strait, Philippines. There right. was a lot of students. Right. Right. But actually, by the time I got to year 12, I was going to do accounting. <laughs> and then I got to university and changed to psychology because I realized there's no way in hell that I am going to work with numbers. I can't think of anything worse. Uh, that was just ridiculous. That's why we have Hoshi. Right. <laughs> no. And by then Thank you, I Hoshi had. For the work you're doing, by the way. <laughs> and by then, um, yeah, I had decided I wanted, you know, matured and grown up and worked out who the hell I was and maybe what I was interested in. And then I was thinking, hmm, I love talking and I love people and I love hearing people's story and mm -hmm. what they had to say. Mm -hmm. Imagine getting, you know, into a role where I could use that. And so psychology is pretty broad in that way. So, yeah, I started off in that direction. Right. Um, yeah. So then you, you know, you worked all over. I know you worked in Texas. Yeah, no. <laughs> right? I, yeah. I, know, I think you were working with young women. Yeah, at that time I was working with 18 mm -hmm. to 25 year old women with both um, mental health and substance abuse issues mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. a equestrian based program, which right. was a great, great experience. Yeah. Um, the funny thing, I was starting to get so used to the Texas accent that when I was talking to family on the phone, they were sounding like crocodile hunter to me because it was like, you know, the real Aussie, hey, g'day, mate, type of thing. And I'm like, damn, did my aunt always talk like that? <laughs> but yeah, by then, before I went to Texas, um, I had already spent time working in attachment trauma theory. So when I came been, home... Do I remember correctly, you had been working in the Cape for some time, right? I'd been doing a couple of things. I was actually working for Rio Tinto as a council and flying up to Weeper on a monthly basis for a, a yeah. couple of years while I worked with a government service. You were flying up on that horrible little plane that we got on that time. You embarrassed me that day, you squealing yeah. like a little girl. Oh. Ah! <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> it's okay, Mr. MMA fighter on a plane. Oh my God. I was relying on you. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. That was uh, that was funny as hell. But um, yeah, by then I knew when I came home that I was going to be doing this, and I actually knew when this, um, you know, position came up yeah. that it was going to be mine because I don't know. I just feel so driven to be in this field because I believe in the theory. Yeah, I yeah. can see the changes. You know with people understanding where children are coming from and the way you approach behavior it's just inspiring to see you know the lights go on when <clears throat> excuse me when children realize that we understand you know their pain and their journey and that's why we you know continue to do this work i guess that's the role of em that empathy plays in therapeutic progress right yeah and it's a matter of um I think yesterday I was doing a workshop and we were talking about empathy and how to use it and mm -hmm. what having a connection, what a 
professional and ethical relationship is because we can't do this work without relationship. That's and all yet, it is. And yet we have to be aware of what that looks like. So we, we talked about the analogy of you know, helping someone who's sinking in a pond of quicksand mm -hmm. that you don't, you don't ever see. I, I've never actually seen real quicksand, but I've seen it in the movies. But, you know, you never actually see someone get rescued by the rescuer leaping in to save them because then now you've got two people sinking. Right. So I guess the connections that we have is the same as someone who's standing on solid ground Mm -hmm. who holds out a stick or whatever yeah. and says, here, hold this, I've got you. Yeah. And, I, and I reckon that that's kind of the role of empathy is I understand what, that, what this is. Yeah. I'm it not is... jumping in, but I'm also not standing back. That's right. We cannot get so absorbed in pain that we're no longer effective. But it's, it's been a very personal journey for me, particularly in acknowledging the, you know, high representation of Aboriginal young people in our child protection system. Um, and it also, it does affect my clinical work in the sense that I am more, I identify because, you know, these children that we work with, these are kids that, you know, could be my cousins, could be, you know, somebody mm -hmm. that I know from community. Yeah. And some, there are, you know, there are, there are things that I really, really connect to, and that inspires me even more. But also from a clinical level, I've got to be very aware that I'm aware of my own responses when children are, what am I trying to say? I guess if I, if I can cut in, I don't, it's different for me yeah. than it is for you. When I work with children who come from for example, at Cape York Aboriginal community, right? I'm working with them and I'm applying the theory. And for me, you know, these are children, like all children, right. who, um, you know, come in with trauma and I develop a relationship and, and what I'm doing is working. But how I think about it is different because for me, a community in Cape York is this whole other world. It's like someone talking to me about it somewhere in Russia. It's, right. It's, I don't quite understand it, but for you, you don't just understand it. Like, that's you, right? It, that's, that you're, that, that's you. You're a person from there, and you, you were a child in that community. And I guess that's what's different between you and me. Especially when kids come down to Cairns from community who we know are, you know, services in Cairns. They, you know, we need to tend, we need to look at services increasing in communities because we do have kids that have to come away from their culture mm. to be able to receive therapy and to, you know, there may not be family members who yeah. are able to take that on board, but. And it's not just therapy, it's, I mean, you had to move away from your own home right. to go to school. It's opportunity as well. So just to go to school and have opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're looking at Cape York, it, it seems so impoverished in terms of infrastructure and, and services and, you know, availability of even the learning opportunities that you've had to actually move away from your own home and be in a boarding school. I mean, I... I'm I'm a real homebody, and uh -huh. I can't 
I can't imagine how I would have coped with moving away from home and having to go to a boarding school. I was actually ready for us. Mm. I've always been an adventure bunny. Yeah. So, which ended why I ended up in Texas. I don't yeah. know. I always, <laughs> and I guess that's, you know, my parents, you know, really gave me a secure, happy mm. life where I could, you know, bound off from that and go into different directions and know... You know, even when I went to Texas, I remember my dad saying to me, um, babe, no matter what, you've always got a home to come home to. Mm. And knowing that, you know, has driven me to go and expand and try different things, even if there's a risk of failure and landing on my face. That's where your, <laughs> that, that's where your roots are. Right. Uh. So, um, but yeah, when children come down here, I think... I see them homesick, you know, you see you see the level of trauma, then you see this other layer of homesickness and this deep, 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 you know, yearning for their community and to go home and touch that, that red soil or the rocks on that beach. And yeah, there really is a lot of advocacy for children to go and, you know, be able to have those connections, maintain those connections. Um, because I think it's hard for so many people to understand when they say that someone um, needs to be connect, needs to be reconnected with country. Now we hear that this is the kind of jargon that I was talking about. And right? culturally appropriate. If I um, hear that one more time, I'm <laughs> going to lose my head. And being culturally <laughs> appropriate, like what the actually, hell is that? what 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 is that? Right. What, what, is, what does it mean? And it looks good politically. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's a big statement that you're making, but in a way, it, there has to be something in that. That what actually it has to me, be livable and breathable. What does that mean? What does that mean? Culturally appropriate. Yeah. I don't use it. I don't mm -hmm. like it. I just mm -hmm. it's a label. Mm -hmm. Let's just be culturally aware and culturally attuned, and yeah. not make assumptions and yeah. think on various layers that account for culture. And I'm not just talking about culture in terms of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, mm -hmm. you know, as our in Australian Indigenous culture. I'm talking culturally in terms of children and what what they identify with. What is it in their home that reminds them of a warm, loving feeling that's connected to maybe watching him, you know, child and dad watching football? Mm. You know, culture is so many elements. Mm. And I get frustrated when... <clears throat> It seems to come down to indigenous or not. Right. So I think we need to use the whole concept of culture for everybody. Mm. You know, even, you know, we've got non-indigenous children in our service, in our, you know, in programs here in Cairns. And accounting for culture is accounting for culture for everybody. That's my personal view. Yeah. Because yeah. I think every child needs something to connect to. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I guess culture is what... Um, it's our life, our perspective, our yeah. belief system, and it's, everything. It's like that, um, that connection, that life cord to other people. It stops us from floating alone, that idea that we belong. That's why we exist, to, culture. Yeah. to connect. And when you start tapping into cultural, not just from a skin colour perspective, 
I mean, we've got children that, you know, may or may not have had exposure to community or to their own family. Therefore, we need to be thinking culturally on a very, very open-minded, you know, perspective, I suppose. Mm. Mm. So when I'm thinking cultural, I just, it's, it's about what is it in this child that may allow me to connect with them and help them connect to positive, connected experiences. And that's when we can start to work on developing those reliable, connected relationships. We can, mm. you know, we can think more holistically around culture as a term. Mm. Mm. So when you say culturally, culturally appropriate, it just means nothing to me. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> what no, does that I, mean? I get it. it. It's a very vague, it's a very vague kind of, of term, and we, we need. And I think that the this is all the stuff that I've learned from working with you. And we do have to be very aware of stolen generation issues in our work, mm. particularly when working with families. I think that's a given. Um, being aware of stolen generation issues in my own family and community automatically attunes me to the fact that if I'm working with a family, that is something I always need to consider in the way that I approach my intervention or my work or building rapport. I think we automatically need to have that awareness that this could be a family impacted by that. And so you may have a family that's more resistant to your involvement and not wanting your, you know, clinical advice and support. And so you need to work in a way that ex- that is very sensitive to that. Mm. And indeed, why would you not be suspicious any, of, that's of right. any kind of welfare support if that's been your family's experience? For me, I mean, you said before, you know, as an Aboriginal woman, mm-hmm. I think as a white man right. myself, right? Here's my my view of stolen generation is this term that even though I've worked a lot with lots of Aboriginal kids, mm-hmm. it's still um, detached from me. Yeah, it is. You know, it's and different. I and then you've got people who are even more detached from me who don't actually work in this field, don't understand it, who say, well, Kevin Rudd said sorry about that, so why should you talk about it anymore? I think that they don't understand what impact of that actually means. What does it actually mean? And why should you not just get over it when someone has said sorry? You know, because you said we still have to be sensitive Mm -hmm. that that's there. And I think one thing that um, that hits the mark from what you said before was the idea that, of course, if that's been a fear instilled in you, that has nothing to do with forgiveness or sorry or being acknowledged or not. That's actually still the experience of that family and a very real fear. I hate the concept of assumption mm. on in anything, and but I... I think when you work with Australian families, you need to be aware that that could be a possibility where stolen generation, you know, pain has affected that family and just work accordingly and support accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Because there are real reasons why um, a protective service like child safety in Mm. Queensland or child protection in Victoria 
would need to, which would in fact almost have no choice but to remove a child from a family, right? And this is v- very different to the stolen generation story. Yeah. However, that becomes very blurred because the experience looks the same, right? It sure does. Exactly. Mm. Um, yeah, I've sat and thought about this for a long... <laughs> I've spent yeah. many hours thinking about this yeah. and what it means and how it you know, what it's like to be that family member, you know, how they must feel and how they see external services. And it's it, that's why it takes so long to build that relationship. And you can't go in and just expect families to understand, you know, you might have great intentions in what you offer, but you need to work on your relationship with families and build their trust and understanding of who you are. Mm-hmm. And that takes time, and we it, we have to put the yeah, time in. Yeah, and there's this old idea of social work being a very yeah. professional field, and this goes back to my what I called my clipboard clinical work, yeah. where they say you can't have any relationship, and yet let's not kid ourselves. Everything that we do is relational. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Um. So I I think it's um. It comes down to mindfulness and self-awareness, doesn't it? Basically, and not making assumptions. Mm -hmm. If we can go in with an open mind, not make assumptions and come from the heart, people will feel you, people will know that you're there for them, and that's when you open doors. Yeah, yeah. I I see you do that all the time. Uh, I saw you do that the very first time I was with you. We met... Um, a boy who came into the service that we were working with and I I was astounded at how you weave this magic with this boy <laughs> and it's almost like we were in the car and you were talking with him neither of us had met him before and by the end of it you were like a long lost auntie <laughs> you, you know and um, you did it in such a wonderful way the way you spoke I actually learned more from that conversation than from any you know workshop talk. I've done about cultural sensitivity yeah. you know it was um, it was amazing to watch you do it and of course I I know and I, we have the evidence and I know of the great work that um, that you've done with kids up here. Uh, you talked earlier about, I know you hate me saying good things about you, but <laughs> um, you, you really are such an admirable person. It's such an honour to know you, Peter, and I'm so happy that you could join us on the podcast today, and I want other people to know what you do and how you work and how simply you approach everything, and I think that we all have a lot to learn from it. Um, I still have a lot to learn. Oh, it's ongoing. That's the beauty of it. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for trying to make me sound deadly, Stefan. No. No, um, Hey, I learned that word a few years ago. Did you? Yes, remember? Good, good, good. I can say deadly now. Good, yeah. (laughs) No, thank you, Stefan. Um, Yeah, I knew the first day we met that we would be working together. It's funny how life goes and you just know certain things and know where you're supposed to be. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I love the hope that you always hold with the kids, no matter how long you work with them. Uh, People lose hope so easily. People like you and Adela 
who never ever lose hope. You never lose a positive um, perspective, no matter how despairing um, a child's life might seem and how despairing their trajectory might look. Mm-hmm. You always hold a hope and they get through. Yeah. And uh, you continue to actually get these great results with kids. And I think a lot of it has to do with your hopefulness. I can't downplay the importance of clinical supervision. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I really have appreciated the support uh-huh. I've had from yeah. both you and Adela in yeah, my yeah. in this area of my career. Yeah. yeah, it's really important, isn't it? It's something yeah. that is. It's when essential. I, when it I really talk to is. People about clinical supervision, like, oh yeah, sometimes I get it, but it's it is like it's a cornerstone of being able to do it's like the lifeline to keep you in perspective it stops you from leaping into the quicksand right Mm. or retreating from its edge exactly Mm. it keeps you standing solid reaching out with that pole or rope yeah and we're both lucky in that we have adela holmes there tj Uh, yeah i made you know she's just um She's just such a wealth of information, the way she listens and processes things. We can talk about her while oh, she's away. When I call her, she I'm not even halfway through my sentence. She already knows what I'm going to say and has already come back. Like She's, she's, she's a, just onto it. Yes, she's <laughs> I amazing. I know. And thank you so much, Peter, for today. Thanks, I've Stefan. I really enjoyed our conversation. We should do it again. We will. And uh, talk about anything we like. I uh, love your hopefulness. And you know what? It strikes me it's probably because you're from Hope Vale. There you go. <laughs> you know, it was Hope Valley before um, the people moved in and the missionary, German missionaries arrived. It right. was actually on the ocean, Hope Valley. Ah, There's still some remnants there. I have yeah. to show you one day. I would love to go up there one day. You have to. Bring Katie. Bring mm. Adela. I will. Katie will bring her mountain bike. There's heaps of places and there's this huge <laughs> sand hill that's white and we always used to run up it. It's called Coloured Sands and, yeah, even I as an adult, you, you can go right to the top and run so fast you roll over and get sand in your hair and look ridiculous, but it's okay. so much fun. You must love going back home. I do. I actually feel the most peace when I go home. If I've had a stressful few months and yeah. I go back up, yeah. as soon as I hit that red soil, it just feet on the ground on the grass toes and yeah something just switches every single time yeah. and it's the connection to my ancestors family that have passed I just can't explain the power that has come from me going home and I come back rejuvenated every time it's huge I when I speak to you when after you've been home I can actually hear your batteries recharge yeah I need to do it soon. In fact, I'm planning it. The can show's coming up. I'm going home. Nice. nice. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Stefan. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everyone out there in podcast land. Hope you enjoyed this episode. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye.